Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Debaoki, David Brothers, Chip Starsky, and myself, Christopher Butcher, you can follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. As mentioned, I am Christopher Butcher. This week we are reading A Journal of My Father by uh, Jiro Tanaguchi. For those of you who've listened to every episode of Manga Explaining, you'll know that I prefaced our episode on uh, Tech on Kingcrete by saying that this episode could go for four hours. Jiro Tanaguchi is someone who, like Tayo Matsumoto, I could talk about literally forever. I could just have a Jiro Tanaguchi podcast two hours a week. I don't know who would want to be on it with me, but we could do this. So I'm going to try to really... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Steven, you, you've read it all. I'm going to try to pull, pull really far back uh, on this one because I have so much to say, and we'll just try and keep it to this book. But I want to start off by saying that Jiro Tanaguchi, absolutely one of my favorite mangaka of all time. And I I didn't want it to look like we were doing a disservice to uh, his legacy or his memory by uh, trying to keep it just focused here. But yeah, this could go on literally indefinitely. So, A Journal of My Father is the second book by Tanaguchi that I've read about... <laughs> A workaholic Tokyo salaryman dude dealing with dad issues. The first was A Distant Neighborhood. Distant Neighborhood is very, very good as well, but a little bit different in that it has a fantastic bent. Just in A Distant Neighborhood, a, a guy goes back to his hometown for the first time in a while by accident and ends up sort of passing out at his family gravesite, waking up in the past in the body of himself as a young man. And it's sort of like big in that way, or maybe another like another sort of movie like that where you wake up and you get to redo your life from when you're a teen he realizes that he's arrived just before his father disappears from his life disappears and leaves his family and he never knew why and no one ever told him why he couldn't get it out of them and it really affected the kind of person he was as a as a grown adult so this book i was coming into it thinking oh it's going to be more of the same but no this book is a journal of my father is a very straightforward, non-fantastic, set in the real world, set more in the real world than any manga maybe we've read so far. There are dates and places and names moving from city to city that really exist. And it is about a man who returns home. His father has passed away, and he's he'd grown very distant from his father. He returns to the countryside to, uh, to visit his family. His father's passed away. He's from Tokyo. He doesn't seem like he's excited to be there didn't really want to go except to pay respects and then and bounce. And it turns into a much different thing. He goes, he meets with his extended family, and he learns about the man that his father was, uh, the man that he never really got to see. It's a heavy book in a lot of ways, but it's told really well. Uh, I don't think it's going to be something that uh, people are going to be shouting about on Twitter quite as hard as some of the stuff that we've read that we've really loved. Uh, but I think it's, you know... I think it's a really interesting book. And I guess I'm offering my opinions before I ask anybody else. It's bad form. But I did break it last time, too. I mean, we had a hunch. We had a hunch. So, <laughs> uh, And this is also one that I picked because I hadn't read it. I'd read everyone, every, uh, not everything, but I've read a lot of other books by him. So I was really curious about, about this one and uh, needed to kick in the pants to actually go and read it. And just before we started recording today, it was announced that this book, uh, Journal of My Father won an Eisner nomination uh, for uh, Best International Material from Asia, uh, which is basically the manga and occasional manhwa Korean comics category, which is, you know, awesome. It's, it's, uh, it speaks, I think, to its quality, and I think the eventual Eisner voting process will speak to its popularity. 
Uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens in July when that gets announced. So all of that said, I wanted to give a real firm introduction to this book and then let our showrunners or our, our, our co-hosts, our, our pals, um, sort of run with this episode. But I did want to start before I asked about this book. I want to ask everybody, have you read, how much Jiro Taniguchi, how much of Jiro Taniguchi's work have you read before? Oh, before you came to tons, this project? Tons, <laughs> Oh, Chip. Zero for Chip. <laughs> Not much for me. Uh, I own Hotel Harborview, which has come up before on this podcast. Um... <laughs> I think I've read some of the gods and a couple others just here and there. I'm not, mm. I know enough to want to read his work, but not enough to be like, mm. this one's my favorite. Mm. And Deb, you're, I mean, you're kind of an expert. Right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I've read everything that he put out in English and I, and I have, you know, like some that I like more than others. Mm. I'm not an expert on Jiro Taniguchi by any stretch of the imagination, but I do love you, his work. You literally you literally read every book that of his that's been in English. Well, that's not everything. <laughs> <laughs> Deb's had some high standards. I do have a favorite. I forgot. It's Ben K in New York. Uh, ben K in New York was my favorite for a really long time. Yeah, back. about so. a hitman in New York. I think Kelly Sue uh, DeConnick might have done the localization for that one. Oh, really? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, he also did like this really beautiful book of Venice, Italy, mm. that the Louis Vuitton company paid him to go to Venice to make this beautiful sketchbook. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. And then I have this uh, illustration book that I bought that's in French, and it's really lovely. He's just a beautiful, uh, just an immaculate draftsman. Mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful drawing. I like Summit of the Gods. I think D Distant Neighborhood and Summit of the Gods are my two favorites. Mm -hmm. Zoo in Winter, which is about kind of semi-autobiographical about a young man moving to Tokyo and becoming a manga artist. There's just a bunch. I'm, some of the gods I really like because it's about climbing Mount Everest. And it's sweeping and dramatic and just like, wow, oh my God, he drew all this detail. And it's, it's really um, exciting to read. Yeah, his work is... Uh, yeah, we'll get to it, I suppose. <laughs> so we have some familiarity with Taniguchi going in, except for Chip, who is uh, totally new. So yeah, let's Chip, would you mind going first? I would love to hear what you thought of this one. Because this week when we're recording, we just actually released the, even though we're adults uh, podcast, and we were we were talking about that that book a lot uh, in terms of like being a book for grownups. And I feel like this is uh, <laughs> this maybe pushes it even further in that direction. And is it too much? Is it too grown up? Is it, you know, don't even answer my question. Just talk about the book. What did you think? Buddy? <laughs> this book is too grown up for me. Turns out I'm a child at heart. And I don't want to find out about fathers and relationships and bad things. Yeah, no, I, I, I loved it. Um, as, as mentioned earlier, as a draftsman, the work is stunning. It's the closest to Otomo that we've gotten since episode one. Because they've, they've, they've got a similar style when it comes to the cartooning elements. Like, it's, it's a realism, mm -hmm. but with the kind of the cartooning of the faces is, is really, really uh, elegant. And, and they... they play off each other quite nicely like the backgrounds and the details are just kind of beyond reproach in this book mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. especially important for a book like this which is all about place it's all about that hometown and you really get a feel for 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 that hometown uh through the book yeah coming into it from a uh you know westerner north american set of eyes this book really reads to me as a 
a story about Japanese repression, maybe? Like, like, cause mm-hmm. there's like, as I'm reading, I'm just like, oh, they didn't explode at each other in this scene. Oh, they didn't lose it at this scene. Like, even up until the end when the uncle is like berating him, it's just like, it's berating, but it, it's drawn like it's a gentle berating. Like the words might be strong, but the 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 actions and the the animation of the character doesn't doesn't give that away. Which which I found which I found mm. really fascinating. Like all through almost every step, I'm just like, oh, okay, this this feels maybe it's a cultural thing, maybe it's specific to the characters, and I shouldn't be as broad with my cultural uh, generalities. <laughs> but but it's like. It, I found it really fascinating to take the, you know, our main character and, and put him, put him through the story. And at the end, like he feels just kind of like slightly changed. Like, mm-hmm. like there's, there's not a big, uh, there's not a big moment, just more like, Oh, I realize that my father was different than I thought. And I should have kind of cut him more slack. And maybe I, I'm like mm-hmm. my father in, in those ways. And, you know, and he makes steps, you know, with his wife saying, you know, we should come back to the hometown and stuff. But it doesn't feel like, like there's no tears shed from him. There's no kind of breakdown or just like kind of wailing, which, you know, in my family, there'd be a lot more of that. And I'm Canadian. So that's that's saying something. (laughs) something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He does. He does cry at the end. Mm. I should say he does cry over his father's grave. Finally, at the just before. Yeah, it's a very noble crying, though. A very noble crying. Not yeah. uh, like One Piece yep. snot crying. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Night, yeah, night and day there. <laughs> so the, the father's old friend who shows up at like the evening oh. vigil or whatever, and he's, he, he starts to break down and reveals that the father floated him some money mm-hmm. and helped his business over the years. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was the kind of the ugly cry in, in this story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was, I, I found it really interesting and, I'm really interested to talk about just fathers and sons with everyone here because the son is <laughs> not right, but he's also not wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like dad focused on the wrong thing and, and showed kindness to others and secret kindness to his son in a way, which I found interesting. Yeah. Mm. But, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story and I'm, I'm actually, I was kind of stunned by the end of it to read the afterward and to find out that this wasn't a memoir. Mm-hmm. It's not. Exactly no, no, obviously he, he pulled, he pulled elements from, from his childhood, but you know, even I think in the afterward, he talks about him and his brother or whatever. And in the story, there's, there's no, it, it's, it's about the sister. Mm-hmm. Like there are elements pulled from real life. So it's not a memoir, but it feels so much like a memoir, uh, which I find really impressive. I guess fictionalized memoir That's, uh, would be the term for it. Like it yeah. totally has that memoir feel. Yeah. So I'm going to get to, I want to get to mm-hmm. David and Deb, but I mm-hmm. want to like just dig in on a couple of things you said. The fictionalized memoir has a big history in comics, in mm-hmm. Japanese comics, I mean to say in manga, where the idea of sort of spilling your guts about yourself in a direct way is kind of not mm-hmm. chill. <laughs> you, you fictionalize it. So even Probably one of the greatest manga memoirs that's come out in the last decade is A Distant Neighbor, or is not A Distant Neighbor, a Drifting, is, life. Um, a Drifting life, thank you, yeah. by Yoshihiro Tatsumi, a Gekiko master, published by Drawn and Quarterly in English. And he is at the end of his life, he's got nothing left to lose, he's found the success that he's always denied. 
he's telling you about his life following the war finally and he still couldn't bring himself to to admit yeah. that it was him he still creates a character he still puts a little bit of distance between the story he's telling and himself even in the later stuff where like real people <laughs> other real people in the world show up like i think it's very um i think you know we can't know for sure what's cultural and what's specific to this story we could talk about our experiences and our sort of broad experiences but i would say yeah this had to have a little bit of distance to it because it's it's tough to do it's it's autobio is a different thing in Japan and it's it's regarded a different way and it's what makes real autobio when it comes out when we get things like my lesbian experience with loneliness which uh, seven seas published and her now I can't remember not, her not name not the Kabi uh, uh, sensei like her ongoing autobiographical graphic novels are like not only a rarity but like sort of shocking and also amazing like her her emotional honesty it's it's uh, it's what's it's what makes that kind of work stand out so yeah yeah I feel you on that I think that that's important but that he does go to such depths to like the lead characters, only one year difference in age than him, for example, or, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have an older brother in this story, but his wife's older brother happens to be there be- fulfilling the older brother role. And well, yeah, we'll get into all that too. But yeah, I do think that there's a lot here about memoir and about his true feelings and how he can express them. That that's really interesting. David, did you want to, did you want to jump in on your initial? In- uh, yeah, I can. Impressions. I should give a warning that, I cover feelings with humor to get distance, and this is a very emotional book, so we'll see how this goes. But the short version is, like like Chip, I loved it. It's really well told. I thought it was a really beautiful book. I didn't actually... I was braced for it to be sad based on your pitch, and I didn't Mm. actually find it very sad at all, but it is very melancholic, if the Mm. distinction between those two makes sense. Because I don't think that I cried while reading it, but it was sort of like punching me in the heart every chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. But so I'll try to zero in on how I felt about it. Uh, my first take after reading the first chapter was, oh, this is Boruto, because it's about a dad who sort of wow. sacrifices for his family, and his son does not get it. Like, the son goes off, finds his own specialty, and resents his father for the sacrifice, and they have to learn to bridge that gap somehow. Mm. And that was my way of being like, okay, this isn't going to make me cry, because it's like my ninja comics. <laughs> <laughs> but as I kept reading, I realized that it's less that and it's more like this is a w- awake in book form. This is you finding out about um, the people who have passed on in ways that you would have never found out over the course of your real life. Mm. Like I moved to Portland in 2017. Yeah. And uh, my paternal grandfather passed like a month and a half later. And then two weeks after that, I was at Emerald City Comic Con. So it was quite a time. But at the yeah. wake from my grandfather, I found out that but he'd been sober for like several years or several decades. Because as his friends came to the wake to talk about him in their old times, they talk about like, you know, having fun in the military, getting drunk and all this other stuff. And then also like getting their life right. And that's a mm-hmm. side of my grandfather that I never knew because, you know, I was 50, 60 years younger than him. You don't really talk to kids about, you know, uh, the, the ways you messed up. And this book felt very much like that for me, where it's like, oh no, like my dad was a human being. He had a life, he had a life before me, he had wants, he had needs, and like some things he wasn't good at, other things he was very good at. And it really struck me, like kind of watching the marriage dissolve, watching the son come to terms with how he feels about his father, and those terms being like, wow, I don't know what to think now. Like Chip said, like both sides have a point. Um, the son was very right to feel abandoned in the way that he did. And the father was also very right to try to provide for his family. That's all he could do. 
I think this being said, you know, a real life event inciting the dissolution of the marriage and sort of everything that came after and being in the 50s and 60s makes that even more acute. Because the other hot take that I came up with while I was reading to protect myself is that this would be a perfect prequel to Panorama Island because it's full of the people who got pushed off of the island by the designer guy, like all the craftsmen, all the tradesmen, all the people that that guy kind of corrupted in his <laughs> desire for a sex island are the people in this book who are very human. You know, it's the sake brewery, uh, barbers, photographers. This did not occur to me at all while I was reading it. So yeah, you're the king king of the hot take, man. (laughs) And I was really, it made me appreciate it because I don't think it's the same time period. I think this is like 30 years later, but it's a similarly rural and kind of rebuilding the country kind of a setting. Yeah. And I was thinking that this book also gets at that, that idea of closeness and appreciating where you are, where you're from, your family being paramount. Uh, when Yuichi moves to Tokyo, he loses his family in a very real way. He's gone for 10 years. His dog dies. His father dies. His brother-in-law dies. And his nephew almost grows up without him being there because he yeah. saw Tokyo as an escape from the small town. So there's like a lot of different ways that I appreciate this book, different angles that I could even talk about it with. Like even just saying that, you know, it's the story of Yuichi rediscovers the man he had long considered an absent and rather cold father. Like, that's true, but there's like six other ways that I think I can pitch this book that are as true and as moving. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I think those are, <laughs> I think those are all good takes because I think this actually, actually, this book really does have a large cast. Like, mm-hmm. I actually had to make a little note. Me too, really? Myself. Yeah, wow. to be just like, okay, they mentioned that person. Oh, that's like his brother-in-law's son. Okay. that Like, well, they just mentioned key characters mm-hmm. by name. So I kind of get... The idea of this as being a large cast, as being uh, like wanting to humanize them past this, just their jobs or their roles in the story. And I actually never felt like even the character they introduced in the last chapter to come in and provide emotional catharsis by having a blubbering breakdown Mm -hmm. didn't feel fake. Uh, None of it felt like none of the characters felt like they were uh, invented for the script. Like, like he was trying to write himself out of a a situation. It's like, Yeah. yeah, there are these people and he, it, Introducing an entirely new character in the last chapter just to drive home the point that you literally knew nothing about your father after he gets shit on by Daisuke, I think is really, uh, I think is really good. Yeah. Which brings us to Deb. Deb, how do you, <laughs> what do you think of Eternal of My Father? Oh boy. I don't know. It's like, uh, when I read it, I, I had, I just ugly cried. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So much is um, catches some soft spots. Yeah. yeah. Like leaving home, a dad who is not very communicative, but um, has a life, has a life that's you never knew. Mm. It was, it's tough, you know, it's like, I think like, cause I left Hawaii and when I go back, it's kind of the same thing. Like my, my relatives are all super warm and super welcoming and they're never, they never give me shit for like leaving Hawaii, but I feel really, you know, that's really homesick and heartsick. I leave. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of it that I, I was wondering when I was reading and I got the big ugly cry. I thought, is this just me? Cause I'm Japanese and I had, my dad was like this and I left home and, or is it uh, universal? And I guess the answer mm. is yes. It's my it's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's universal, honestly. Yeah, it's a slight yeah, difference. I think you're being too hard on yourself. 
because I moved like 2,000 miles from home, like sitting by the dock of the bay, like that's like actually my life story. Every time I go back, my hometown is so different. And so there, every time Yoichi talked about coming back to his hometown, I was like, oh no, like this is me. Or like this could be me down the line and that kind of thing. So I think it really is universal because you don't get to know your parents as anything but parents. I think for a very long mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I thought it was really sweet. Like, you know, there was a part where, like, there's a difference between his, him as a second grader and his older sister, who understands a little bit more what's happening with the divorce. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. just, as a child, he just refuses to understand. And his and his father is no better either because he never explains either. He just says, "Mom's not coming home." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. no, no, none of that. You know, Brady Bunch moment where you know, they grab him and hug him and say, "You know, it's all going to be okay." He's very mm. standoffish, mm. Yeah. and yeah, I'll say that that's Japanese. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. In a lot of ways, it's very just dad as well. Like, like I immediately called my parents after reading this, mm. and then yeah, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even make the connection. I didn't go. Oh, I just finished this thing about dads and leaving hometown. I need to call my dad in my hometown now. Like I just automatically just did it because yeah, there's a there's a real distance there, especially fathers and sons and sons repeating the same mistakes mm-hmm. that their that their parents did. Um, yeah, is it a mistake or is it a choice in this book? I, I don't think it's a choice, but I think mistake. You don't think it's a choice? Eh? Maybe feels a little too much like they had more control than you think they did yeah yeah like mm. i feel like the the father was not emotionally equipped mm-hmm. to be open mm. emotionally like the, the 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 virtue in that culture and then i'm, I'm purely projecting mm-hmm. is the virtue is to be strong and um just come on you know just endure yeah and don't don't mm. inconvenience anybody Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of thing where, like, you know, the father, part of the reason why the relationship breaks up is because the father feels so indebted to his wife's family, and he felt so like he didn't want, like the, like uh, Yoichi finds out that his mother and father, that the mother's family had objections to him marrying her, that you know that he was being mm-hmm. seen as he was he was self conscious about being seen as a moocher or a, a gold digger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he worked really hard at the expense of connecting with his kids because he felt such a strong obligation to pay back that loan. But, you know, like, that's not something you explain to us to, to a second grader, right? No. And no. so, like, this poor guy, you know, he's, he's like 50-something now, and he's finally seeing his father through an adult's eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, ex- that doesn't excuse that his father was not very warm or very emotionally available for him when he was a kid. Mm. I think it's just really interesting that the, that the, I think the chapter where the uncle comes down on him is the one that hit me in the gut super hard. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that was like, you know, and the funny thing that just kind of got to me, like was the one where um, your dog, your dog Koro, like you left him yeah. and your dad took great care of him. Cause he thought every day that he, that when you would come home, you would be so pleased to see how well you was taken care of mm-hmm. and oh, i just want i just that it just, was a lot <laughs> that was it five yeah. kleenexes later i continued reading <laughs> yeah I, I i i gotta say i was so mad at this book 
for killing two dogs. Oh. <laughs> How dare you? This only happens when yeah. Chris picks the book. Yeah. Tanaguchi <laughs> actually has a book of short stories just about his relationship with his pets. And mm. it's about both a dog and, and cats. And it is equally tear-jerking. And yeah, forget it. It's real, you know, because it's, it's about these real feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, mm. the part about, you know, this book, I mean, I think the other one that really killed me was the one where um, they found the f- photograph that he took in 10th grade. Yeah. And yeah. then the, he said, mm. that photo was so precious to your father. And I was like, ah! Yeah. And it was nothing to him. Yeah, that's so real. Yeah. Mm, it wasn't nothing to him, though. That's the thing. It was precious to him because it won him an award in a totally mm. different way. He never realized how much his father had yeah. invested in that photo. But his father yeah. never told him. <laughs> like, literally, he had no idea. Yeah. Like, how so, it's the, the, yeah, I have a lot. Yeah, the, the photo, <laughs> the, the photo was precious uh, to him because it laid out his escape. It laid out. It laid out like yeah. his entire path after that. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's super, super emotional. Just the fact that that photograph means that for him, and then it means something so different to his father. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like that's kind of like when I like I go home and my my mom points out like, oh, we kept this drawing you did when you were six, and it was like. <sighs> Mom, <laughs> do you have any old sculpture from back then? Because that's what my grandparents have, like a, a mug I made that's more boot shaped than cup shaped. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So my mom had me in high school and later got divorced from my little brother's dad. So I've got like weird dad stuff. I normally don't read a lot of books about fatherhood for that reason, but this was really mm. melancholic, but pleasant. In terms of giving like a new perspective mm. or confirming a perspective or just kind of however it intersected with my heart. Because I'll see my dad when I go back home sometime. And every once in a while, he'll just randomly mention yeah. something where I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> why am I first hearing about this in my 30s? You know? <laughs> I know. So I, 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 kind of, I kind of love those because you, you start to pigeonhole your, your parents in a certain yeah. way. And then they just drop these things. You're like, what? Like my dad did the same thing maybe 10 years ago where I went home. Then he talked about, yeah, I was like kind of like that time I almost robbed that bank in Montreal. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, like he, and- he, he backed out of it and his buddies robbed the bank and got like arrested. My dad like escaped through a window of his apartment because he couldn't pay rent and he just fled oh, town. And that was the wow. end of him in Montreal. I'm like, <laughs> How do you not tell your kids these stories? But yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I think you I know. know I, think, I, think, I think a lot of times a dad doesn't know at what point to start talking yeah. to kids about stuff. Mm. Like, I think, I think that's a big thing. Mm. Like, you know, you talk about how like he couldn't explain the divorce to him as a child. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't. And then he never does. Like, he doesn't go, oh, oh wait. Oh, I just yeah. noticed you're 18 now. I'll tell you about when your mom slept with the piano teacher. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, I think, I think. I think there's there's that aspect of parenting where it's just like you you wall off certain stories and feelings because of the developmental mm-hmm. stage that your child's at, and then you just never open that up again, or you <laughs> just tell your son about almost robbing a bank in Montreal. I've got like one more of these. I'm it's kind of impressed. So dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. So when I was a kid, I didn't get Seinfeld at all. My mom loved it, and there was an episode where George was like, "I'm going to have a menage a trois." 
me being eight years old or nine or ten or whatever, I'm like, Mom, what's a menage a trois? She oh, says, I'll tell you when I get, when you get older. And for some reason, I remembered this as I was watching the episode. <laughs> but that's like a goofy version of what you're talking about. Like, you can't tell yeah. an eight-year-old about threesomes. Like, there's just – there's nothing there. Yeah. But yeah. this book does a great job of showing, like, there are things you can't tell kids. There are things that kids can't tell or don't know how to tell parents. And it does a good job of not really judging mm. the characters for that. Yeah. Because the father was absolutely harmful to the kids, despite providing to them. And the kids were selfish in response, but they, mm. they didn't have a way to bridge that gap. And I think that's what makes this book so mm. beautiful and also like really mundane and like a really like ground level human way to me is that this is something that most people mm. are going to go through, like this recontextualization of your family, of your life, and especially of your childhood. Yeah. Because yeah. kids aren't that smart. Like, you don't really have a lot of awareness. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. as you get older, you yeah. realize, oh... Like all things are starting to make sense now, and your parents won't tell you this. Like I have to inter- I have to interrogate my mom mm-hmm. and my aunts and my grandparents yeah. to get yep. these stories. They won't tell me them otherwise. Have you tried alcohol? They don't Does drink. What works in I'm my family? I'm the only one who drinks. I'm the I'm the disgraceful yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, <laughs> but you know, what I'm saying it's like I like the only reason why I t- got a lot of stories from my grandmother, for example, is because I had a school assignment to do oral history. Mm. Mm, yeah. And then it's like, wait, what do you mm. mean grandpa was a blacksmith who worked at the racetracks in Maui? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did not cool. know that. There, yeah. is a, there is a manga. <laughs> and, and grandpa went to Detroit when he was 14 to learn how to become a mechanic. That rules. Okay. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. I love the threads yeah. online that are like, here's my grandparents or parents in their youth. Like, here's them when they were my age. And like, mm-hmm. they look cool, like whatever the cool was of the day. And it's surprising, but like, of course they were cool. Like, they were, they used to be teenagers. They used to be 20 somethings. Yeah. Yeah. Just this whole thing kind of brought up a lot of like thoughts and feelings about my dad. And like, I know this is, we're talking about manga, but also I think this is the episode where we also talk about family history and stuff. When I was in high school, I was um, I was a bad student. I was a, I was the kind of kid that I just didn't hand in projects. Like I kind of knew the stuff, but I just mm. didn't care to actually do the work. High five. Um, my editors will also say today I don't care to do the work. But so I was I was like I was in danger of flunking out of high school. And but I, I had ideas. I was just like, well, when I get out, when I leave high school, or if I don't make it through high school, I'm going to buy a motorbike. I'm just going to bike across Canada. Like like fuck this. And because I didn't want to yeah. be my dad, right? Because I look at my dad, my dad's just like working all the time, stressed all the time. Like I couldn't like play with him as a kid. Like I couldn't wrestle with him because he would just immediately go berserk mode. Like, oh, you want to wrestle with your old man? And like hurt me. Me and my Whoa. brother, he didn't he didn't mean to, but he's just he was always wound so tight. So you know, I'm flunking out of high school, and you know, the latest report card comes in. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And my parents are just like, "What is wrong with you? Like, why?" Like, why can't you just do the work in school? And it was like one of the only times I just, I stood up in the kitchen, at the kitchen table and I, 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 I told them to fuck off. And I was like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. All right. You happy? And I walked out, stormed out, started walking down the street. And I was just like, I'm going to walk to my friend's house or whatever. Like I, it was a stupid move. Like I have no place to live now. I'm just gone. I'm walking down the street and uh, the car, family car pulls up next to me. Dad rolls down the window and he goes, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going, I'm going to Ryan's house. He's like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. He's like, get in the car. 
And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I get in the car. <laughs> and we just started driving. And like, I was never, I, I didn't have a lot of alone time with my dad. And so I was terrified. Like, we were driving out to the country. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to take me out and gangland style kill me or something. <laughs> so he's driving me. And he's just like, he just kept saying, like, we don't understand you. We don't understand why you're not doing well in school. We don't get it. Like, you're, you're a smart kid. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of mumbling and I don't know what to say. And then I finally say to him, I go, it's because I don't want to be like you. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start crying. And I'm just like, I'm like I don't want to be like you. And I, I go, like, you're just a drone. Like, you just, you work this, like, job as, like, a manager of a phone company that, like, like, you never wanted to do. And, like, it's all you do and just, like. You know, just all this typical stuff a kid thinks about their their kind of distant dad. And, like, he pulled over the car. And I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm dead. And he just, he just like, held onto the steering wheel and just put his head on the steering wheel and just started crying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my like, God. I'm like, I'm like, like any kid, as soon as your parent cries, you just start crying because you're just like, holy shit. Yeah, it's over. And, and he, he turns to me and he's like, do you know why I'm always stressed? Do you know why I'm like this? He's like, because I lied to get my job. I told them like t- 10 years ago, like that I, I graduated from college and I haven't graduated from high school. Wow. He's like, I have been scared for the last like 10, 15 years that one day they're going to find out and I'm going to get fired and I'm going to have another one of my panic attacks and I won't be able to feed you guys. He's like, I want you to finish school because I didn't finish school and like, you've got to do this. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, like if he told me that, like, you know, when I was younger, like, but like, how do you do that? How do you tell like a kid the situation? Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, it was like, it was so revelatory, just to, like what your parents keep from you mm-hmm. and what they're carrying and like these kind of weird burdens and they want the better life for you. But like, how do you explain that they want a better life for you? Because this is what is going on in my life mm-hmm. without seeing, seeming sad. And, like, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, reading this book brought up a lot of that <laughs> to me. Just the idea of, like, the father just, like, kind of working diligently and kind of keeping the kids at arm's length. Like, it's... Like, I'm yeah. I'm real sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I didn't expect this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a, a positive thing I appreciate about the book that's not sad. I like that the dad is a talented barber. Mm. And I like that his son grew up to become a photographer. I feel like those are two different types of art, mm-hmm. but like it speaks to the kind of atmosphere that the kid had, uh, despite you know the distance. There was still yeah. a space for him to learn first track and then photography, mm. which is not like a very lucrative business, I don't think. Yeah. But the dad respected the the interest, like the dad yeah. and the stepmother. It's interesting too that he goes into photography and becomes a, a designer because that's a sort of the professional world version of being a mangaka when we're talking about uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. autobiography I mean, yeah, if you want to follow like the, you could almost put it together and say like that's zoo and winter is that story mm. right zoo and winter is basically the story of the, the guy who moves to the country be, uh in the 60s 70s and like becomes tra- trains to be a manga artist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's kind of that same time period so you you see that he pulls a lot from his his life mm-hmm. yeah no one was is really going to admit, yeah, that was my dad, or yeah, that was that was my mom left, or whatever like that. I, I mean, it's I think it's really interesting too that because you know, 
there's a lot of subtlety in how he draws these characters. In some ways, they do look alike. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, you can follow. Like when we were talking earlier about Rumiko Takahashi, where the guy with the one eyebrow, <laughs> yeah. you can tell that <laughs> he's a boy and then he's an old man. You can kind of see a little bit of that here. Like you see the Uncle Daisuke getting older, mm-hmm. but he's still you, he's still recognizable. And he's very he's very good at that. Like uh, uh, yeah. Especially the, the kids getting older, too. It's very hard to show kids kind of gradually getting older. Yeah, and he does a good job of it here. He gets a lot of shit as an artist for all of his protagonists kind of looking exactly the same. Once you read three or four more <laughs> Jiro Taniguchi books, you'll be like, like Benkei actually, and it depends on the time period too, when these books come out. And they look nothing like him. Yeah, it, it doesn't, which is another really? thing. Yeah. I, I was looking up actually, huh. Taniguchi was a, uh, was an assistant at the beginning of his career in 1970. And the guy, the manga guy he was an assistant for, I uh, was just doing like shonen funny animal comics, basically in the 1970s. Wow. That guy looks a lot like the Taniguchi character, like the the Taniguchi. What? Yeah, he's got the same really square jaw. Wow! I can't wait for these show notes. Yeah, the show notes are going to be. I'll show you the like the little photo they had of him. But Taniguchi maybe looks the most like one of his characters in Venice, which is one of his last books, where the character's a little bit slimmer, thinner neck, that kind of thing. It's uh, Yeah, we'll put it up in the show notes. Yeah. But while we're digging in, I, I want to talk about the older brother character, Daisuke. It's, it's his yeah. first wife's older brother who is there. And I think, in as much as I got a lot of the same things y'all did, but I'm not super into talking about uh, <laughs> with the dad-son stuff. I can't help it. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, it just bleeds out after a while. No, you all, uh, you all shared in a very nice way. So I will, I'll give you. uh, This is the part I can give of myself. Daisuke is absolutely a closeted gay man. I read this twice, and that is the only conclusion I can draw. I have met a lot of dudes. Eh, Not a lot, a lot, but like three or four, let's say, uh, dudes exactly like this guy in my travels in Japan. The older brother who had a lot of expectations placed on him to follow in the family footsteps, who had to put family and the well-being of, the, of of other people before himself, but also had to be super observant, hyper, hyper observant, and see what everyone else was doing and thinking and knowing because he had to hide part of himself. Wow. You don't really find out a lot about Daisuke until the very, very end when you're like, oh yeah, I, I was 40, I'm 46. I thought I was never going to get married and I only got married because other people badgered me into it. And it's like, if you're a 46 year old bachelor in a small town, you've had to make some decisions. <laughs> I didn't, I, I never, I didn't grab this. I didn't get That's it. That's fascinating. That. Yeah. And yeah, for this I... character to be the one that turns around and lays into his nephew for being selfish, I think is really telling. Because this is a person who has never been allowed to have a selfish moment in his entire life, right down to not being able to express himself in literally any way. Mm. Like he's just like, I'm following the rules. I'm taking care of other people. And then you come along and you go doing whatever the fuck you want and leave. You leave everybody. Like, do you think that maybe I wanted to go to Tokyo and meet hot guys? But no. And this is something that, I mean, I'm I'm younger than Taniguchi. Uh, he he was my age. He was like 43, 44 when he wrote this story in 1994, uh, 1992, 1993, 1994. I know a lot of guys that are my age or maybe 10 years older that, you know, you meet at the bars or, you know, in your line of interviewing gay mangaka and things like that. And this story, that was how that story for closeted gay people in small towns used to end. You just 
you know, do what you're told. Maybe you stay a bachelor. Maybe you marry the other lady in town who's also in her 40s who uh, you guys may as well shack up. And if you can have a kid, so be it to keep people happy and to keep things going because you need someone to take over the family sake business. Like you have these responsibilities and you have to sort of pull yourself back. So for him to, to lay into Yoichi at the end, I think was really telling. And I think the fact that this story was told in 1992 means that maybe you can dig into every aspect of Daisuke's character and put it into a contemporary seinen men's manga magazine. That wasn't something you really talked about at the time. Maybe it would be different now, but yeah, I will say that those stories can have happier endings these days. Uh, I meet a lot of guys in Japan who've come out in their fifties and sometimes even later because they because people talk about gays existing yeah. <laughs> as opposed to just pretending <laughs> that they don't. At, you know, even in Totori, there are gay bars now, and they maybe weren't in the nineteen nineties, or at least they would be like bars where you could hook up on the DL, but you weren't like out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think. I think that character being the through line, being the one who only reveals his true feelings when he drinks and he drinks a lot because what else does he have except for this? Mm -hmm. That's, and it, it, there's a double meaning there. Like, oh, he only has sake because he, he runs the sake brewer, right? And it's like, no, he only has sake because he's given up everything else. I thought that that was uh, really good and really like maybe too subtle but I can't read it any other way. And of course, you know, it's not in the text technically, although all the, all the signs are there and Taniguchi's passed away. So I'll never get to sit him down and interview him and ask him if that was what he was intending. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, my deep regret yeah. that he never came to TCAF. Cause that would have been a great interview. Yeah. yeah. And he was so busy the year that we were in Angoulême. I never got a chance to, uh, to meet him before he passed away. I would have really liked to, his work is really, important. I, I, but, uh, yeah, I never read the uncle as being gay. I just thought he was really cool. Me too. Me too. I mean, it just flew over my head. I'm sorry. I mean, he's like the he's the cool. He, he was definitely the cool uncle. Like yeah, yeah. he's like the most relatable. He gets the kids on a level that the dad doesn't. He's clearly more open with his emotions. Mm. He owns a sake brewery. Gives the kid a job there. Gives him life lessons. He he's he's handsome too. He's a hunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a hunk. He's a hunk. The whole time I was reading, I was like, oh, Chris is into this dude. You know, Jumbo, new Jumbo. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and by the end, he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm an old guy, but now I got a young bride, whatever. I'm just like, this guy's cool. He's cool mm-hmm. as hell. And yeah. his, his, his young son carries him home. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, now that's now I have a different read on him. That's, that's really interesting. Wow. I Kind of building yeah. on his character, what do you think about Daisuke's relationship with his sister? Because while I was reading, I almost felt like, wow, like he's really selling his sister short, hanging out with her ex-husband all the time. But now I kind of think that maybe he was accepting of them, like having finished the book, rather, that he was mm. accepting of them both and just understanding that like life happens and you yeah. kind of have to make do in the remains of it. He kind of says something He didn't cut that. her out. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't yeah. cut her out the way that everybody, and like she honestly pulled herself past a certain point out of that family. Mm-hmm. But it was because Haruk, like the older daughter and the husband didn't want anything to do with her. And they were hiding, you know, that from Yuichi. Mm-hmm. So when Yuichi goes and sees that she started a new family, he again retreats and retreats and retreats. And he didn't cut her out. He was just like, at the end of the day, like, I've given you all the correct advice and you have to act on it or not act on yeah. it. And she didn't. But he stepped, he, he obviously kept in touch mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah. They probably still exchanged New Year's cards. You know what I mean? I like, mean, he's got a nephew with still, her. So, yeah. 
Like she had she had a kid yeah. while she was away. And yeah. he said, Maybe he more said than something one. You don't even about know. that, right? Like like Uncle Daisuke says something like, My parents spoiled my sister and mm-hmm. let her just do whatever mm-hmm. she wanted. And yeah. then mm. that's why she she could do something as selfish as just leaving her family. Mm-hmm. Which goes back into his character and having to give things right. up. Yeah. <laughs> I think is there's nothing accidental in this book. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> how often it is. just says what it's about. It's yeah. like, oh, children really never good. understand what their parents sacrifice. It's like, oh, message. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah. instead of it being like, hey, like, pay attention to this bit. Like, it's a natural, it feels like a natural evolution of the thoughts that we're seeing evolve on the page. Like, yeah. of course, oh, he would say that yeah. in this situation because he's super sad at the wake of one of his best friends. Yeah. But there's also other stuff like, so Yoichi, in the, maybe towards the, the last third of the book, is like the version of my father that I see in my memory is the one where we're on summer vacation. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's the happiest version of my father in my memory. And we've already seen that his memory is unreliable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We never know why he's happy. It's just like he's happier here, but then he has to go back to the workaday world or whatever. And it's like, oh, he's reconnecting with the things that made him happy. Mm-hmm. He's trying to share the things that meant a lot to him before he had to give them up, before the world intruded. And the book doesn't explicitly say that. Yeah. It, it leaves it up to your imagination, but it explicitly says so many other things <laughs> that are points of the story that it it's tempting to think that it's like, well, it's all on the page, there's no subtlety. But if anything, that's like, once everything else is on the page, you start to look at these other relationships and it's just like, oh shit. Like at the beginning when Yoichi shows up and his nephew is like respectful but super cold mm-hmm. to him, when he's like, okay, you must be my uncle, like my mom's inside, and he like has says the polite hello, and he's like, "I'm gonna go for that walk now. Like, I'm not, I'm not hanging out with this dude who's been gone for 15 yeah. years. Like, it's real mm-hmm. subtle, but it's there. Uh, I think the other one that really stood out to me. Sorry, I just had it, but it, oh, literally, Yoichi is just like his dad. Like, you talk about how Yoichi is trying to escape from his dad, and none of the characters point this out, and they could have. And this is what makes Daisuke's Uncle Daisuke's like criticisms of him." kind of ring hollow in the end and make it more about Daisuke than, than about Yoichi for me is that like, dude, if literally every single thing that Yoichi learned and the man that Yoichi has become is from his dad directly. He is taciturn. He doesn't share his emotions. He doesn't want to step outside of his boundaries. He wants to work hard all the time to the point where even his wife is like, you are working too much. This is too much. He's exactly his dad. And the fact that no one no one comments on it. They do no at the one end. comments on it in the there's, whole story. There's this thing at the end where he's talking with his wife. And she said, yeah. she goes. Oh, yeah. When they're all like, you look a lot like. His mom shows up. It's like, you look so no, much the, like the, your dad. Him and his wife go, Isaac, when you, um, I remember thinking at the time you resembled him so much. When I say resembled, I didn't, don't just mean your faces. It was something mm-hmm. about your overall aura. Yeah. And he says, mm. I, and then she says. And then he confesses, when people said, and then the, the sister comes and says, when we were young, people often said that I resembled my mother, but Yo-chan resembled our father. But I really be, hated being told I was similar to him. At the time, I couldn't accept my father's kindness with good grace. In fact, I could only interpret that kindness as its opposite, as a kind of cowardice and lack of resolve. To me, mm. all I saw in my father was a boring life of nothing but work. I didn't want to end up like that. I didn't want my life to be like that. That's why I push my heart further and further away from him. And so mm. they really tie that together. Like yeah. they really hammer it home. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. They do. But they, 
even though, like you were saying earlier, earlier, they're very obvious, or I guess Taniguchi is very obvious about that, but there's also like, it's seeded subtly throughout the story. Yep. When he talks about re- refusing an allowance from his family in college, like as like mm-hmm. an 18, 19 year old, mm-hmm. it's the same as his dad refusing money from his uh, wife's family. He doesn't yeah. want yeah. to be indebted. Yeah. Those values, you know, even if your father, even if his father didn't explicitly teach him those values, those values did get passed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. it's, but it's funny. It's funny how the money mm-hmm. thing works, though, because he he rejects the family allowance, but not just because he's like his dad, because he sees his dad having to pay off a debt. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't want to incur mm-hmm. debt, and so he'd have to pay it off. But in not accepting that money in the first yeah. place, he's being his father. Like it's a weird yeah. thing that the father did accept the money at some point, or else he wouldn't have to pay off that debt. Like it's. It's a, it's a blind spot. It it really is. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, mm. like, you go to therapy for have to have someone hold a, a mirror to you and say, you know, all the things you're complaining about, you actually do. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it says four so, people in therapy right now. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the the money thing. It hit me in the heart. That was one of the things that really struck home for me uh, because I've only borrowed money from my folks twice, both times from my, my maternal grandparents. One was to move to San Francisco in 2007 because uh, it turns out apartments are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? And then another was to move out of San Francisco like five years later because they got even more expensive. But I was so caught up in my head mm-hmm. with this idea of not owing money to my folks because they sacrificed so much for me as a kid that I was ready to pay the loan back the month after which was December. So I flew home for Christmas. Like I was like, Oh, it's gonna be funny. I'm going to put a bunch of cash in a brown paper bag and pay them off. And I think I had like 80% of the loan in cash. And they were like, Oh, thank you. Uh, we were going to forgive your loan for Christmas though. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, you guys are okay. such a blessing in my life, but you're also going to keep this money that I just gave you. And they're like, yeah. yeah. My mom yeah. still sends me checks by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yep. Yeah. No. It's it's horrible. Like I I was I was taught by my family to not accept money. Right. To just mm-hmm. you just don't do that. And it, it's taken me so long to just like get past accepting anything. Like I can't go into a party where somebody offers me a drink. Mm. I always say no. I'm fine. And at some point, uh, my wife said mm. to me, "She's like, you know, that's actually rude." Like they want to help you and they want to be hospitable to you. And, you know, it's very similar to parents wanting to help out and and give money, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I, yeah, going to college, my parents paid my tuition, which was not that much because it was like a low level community college uh, art program. But yeah, but I, I, I never, I could never accept money after that. And the one time I did was like, I feel like this is just like story session, but yeah, <laughs> you know you have that it's thing. amazing that way, right? It yeah. It out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have that thing, and when you're away from home for the first time, and you're in college, like you get the phone call from home, and it's your mom, and she's talking to you about a bunch of stuff, and blah blah blah. And then you know, oh, here's your father, and you get on the phone with dad. And he's like, "How you doing?" I'm like, oh, "Okay." He's like, "How you doing for money?" And I would always say, "I'm, I'm good, dad. I'm good." He's like, "All right, good." And that's it. That's the conversation. Yeah, and he, he would I still do have that. Those. Yeah, I know. He, yeah, I still, I still have those. <laughs> and he would he would do that every time. And like, I was not good for money. Like, me and my roommate were like, we were waiting at the grocery store at ten o'clock at night for them to mark down beef. 
so wow. we could afford beef for our spaghetti, which is <laughs> yep. the only dish that we could make. <laughs> so, so we were mm. not doing well at all. Like my part-time job was not cutting it. And so one time uh, I'm on the phone and my dad does the same thing. How you doing? I'm like, okay. He's like, how you doing for money? I'm like, actually, dad, um, not good. Not good. We're, uh, we're having some real difficult times here uh, uh, with the lack of money. He goes, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> that was it. That was it. And then, but the next time he came to visit and he saw like the ground beef situation and just like how horribly we lived, he just he just like realized what had happened. He slipped me 40 bucks. He's like, just buy yourself a pizza or something, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think this like that was saying this book is beautiful because it causes conversations like this. Like I can't imagine reading this book and being like, oh, pretty good and putting it on a shelf. Yeah. I was trying to yeah. think like, yeah. would my grandparents be down for reading backwards? Yeah. <laughs> Cause there are so many things in this book. I feel like every chapter had a different thing and not even necessarily like a related thing where I was like, ah, like this is too close to home or like super close to home. Mm. Which is awesome. Like I, I love that it can do that, and that it yeah. sort of confirms some feelings that I'd been kind of evolving on my own about. Like, I mean, I'm the age where when I get a phone call from home, which is three time zones away, my first thought is, "Oh no!" Like, exactly. Oh my be? God. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's a real problem for me. Like, I'll look at it ring for a second and steal myself, and then pick up. Yeah. But this book does such a great job of pointing out that, like, no, like these people had full lives. Like everyone, you know, like it might not have gone the way they wanted, but they still stuck the landing for lack of a better phrase, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They raised great kids. Like they, they gave their kids a better platform. Yeah, exactly. Especially Mm -hmm. kind of being the son of a single mom in a country that hates single mothers. Done a lot of thinking about that as well. Yeah. 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 And understanding kind of the sacrifice that like my mom sacrifices that my mom would do when I was a kid. Cause you know, like we weren't eating like, spam casserole for the uh cuisine of it you know so this is great like there's so many even just individual chapters i feel like you could just give to people be like hey check this out and like think on it a little bit yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah god i I wish my parents could read backwards yeah we got to bring them (laughs) on the show (laughs) i know They can't, they, my, my dad actually even reads comics and he can't read, he has a really hard time with black and white comics. Oh, wow. Might because of his eyes or just because he was trained on like Marvel yeah. color comics from the 60s. But yeah, he has a really hard time. And The Walking Dead, <laughs> I actually got him into. And I'm like, think of it like George Romero. Think of it like a black and white movie. And he loved it. He's read all three omnibuses or the first three omnibuses. He's waiting like Dang, I'm get him the last wow. one because it just ended a little while ago. But yeah, that was like the last comic I could get him into. And I think it's just... He reads mm-hmm. digitally now, uh, which is, you know, kind of a bummer <laughs> as uh, <laughs> as I prefer to give physical objects and not gift cards for Christmas when I can, because it seems more impressive. <laughs> I, like, I, like that gen- I like that generation gap. Too. Like, yeah. uh, we read physical copies, but our parents just read digital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they also read digital because they can zoom uh, in 400%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Text yeah. Is real, 100%. Uh, becomes real big. Uh, it's It's... Yeah, I do have one complaint. Mm. Go ahead, yeah. So I feel like I can tell it was made in 1992 or 94 because oh. the mm. line, like the line quality, is really shaky sometimes. Like it's been scanned from something that was printed or maybe from film. 
tell hmm. me about, I noticed a couple of instances of that, but I would like to know specifically, because when I saw the, I was actually really blown away by the double page spread opening on the, oh, the, the town, the fire. Oh, yeah, the that was great. Fire. And I, that was a really interesting use of tone. And I think there was even some photography later on. There was some photography that was turned into manga using tone and things like that. that yeah. Was mm -hmm. toned. But yeah, what do you, what specifically stood out? I'm trying you? to find an example now, and I'm sure I'll mention it as I flip through and talk a little bit. But if you look closely at, say, a character's chin or like a very fine line that kind of draws a long arc, you can see a little bit of like uh, pixelization. Yeah. Which I think is yeah, from right. page 68, actually. Uh, the bottom right corner, you can kind of see it, and the crying panel as well. Uh, and it didn't take me out. I mean, like, th these things happen. It's, it's, a reprint of, of a reprint from the 90s. Oh, but well, it made me wonder about the original format. No, the screen tone I get, but the, like, if you look at the guy pulling on his bandana on 68 on the bottom right, kind of the way that line wavers a little bit when it looks like it was originally just one stroke. Uh, I yeah. get what you're saying. I think that could be. That could be artistic license, but I do see a little bit of pixelization here and there. It might have just been yeah. scanning, like scanning old files in bitmap. I think it's quite... scanning more than art because the art is so crisp. Otherwise, I think that's why it stuck out to me a little bit. Yeah, it's it's, it's weird. Mm. Like I'm kind of, um, zooming in on one instance, and I'm like, it it could be paper. Like it could be uh, like a toothy yeah. paper as well. Yeah. Toothy anyways, paper. anyways. <laughs> Yeah, we should knock a couple of stars off of this book for that. I mean, yeah, Chris, I'm sorry. It's just a 99.998 out of 100. <laughs> yeah. uh, fair. I actually got to see Taniguchi's original artwork uh, more than once. We got to see it in Angoulême uh, the year that he was the, the lead dude. I can't remember what that's actually no, called. That's I, I probably should. I mean, it's in yeah, French, dude. but it um, translates to at lead At Angoulême? Yeah. The guest of honor kind of thing? Yeah, at Angoulême. Yeah, he was the guest of honor. He was the the the... Joe, I'll put it in the show notes. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> but I actually got to see another exhibition of his that was really interesting. He did the book Venice, we talked about, which was a commissioned project by Louis Vuitton to do, like, go to Venice and do a bunch of watercolor paintings, and then we'll turn that into a book and sell it. <laughs> you get to a certain point of fame uh, in France, and things start to get real good for you. But uh, an Italian cartoonist named Igort, uh, who's done a number of books that have come out in English, did a similar project where he went to, I can't remember what neighborhood it was in Tokyo, and also did a series of watercolor portraits of that space yeah. in Tokyo. And they exhibited them. I was in Japan, and they were at the Italian Cultural Institute, or maybe the um, Italian embassy, and they exhibited both pieces. So you get to see an Italian. You're in Japan, in the Italian Culture Institute, seeing an Italian eye on Japan and a Japanese eye on Italy. It was a really interesting exhibition. But yeah, his art is, he did develop a slight waiver to... Uh, some of his, like, not as pronounced as, like, Schultz or something like that, but did, like, even, you know, his work is softer, let's say, in the 2000s than it is. His work early on is very sharp, I feel, but the Venice book is all watercolor, and it's beautiful, and it's immaculate, and it's super detailed, but I find that, like, it's the watercolor, I find that the watercolor... Jeff's got the uh, Venice book. So do I. This is sorry. This is this is the Louis Vuitton oh. version. Oh my! <laughs> it's part of the it's part of the Louis Vuitton series of travel books, which includes Matadi actually, which is really exciting. And 
I don't think there's any other comic artist, just him and Matulti. So yeah, I think there's a softness to his work in this and in Guardians of the Louvre, just his Louvre book that mm-hmm. was made from NBM, and in some of his later work. And I think it's just, you know, he's in his 70s. People get old. He was still real sharp, and his work is still gorgeous. But yeah, there is... I don't know. It could be down to paper quality, I think, like Chip mm-hmm. is saying, too, for some of those things. And I think you look at something like... It's interesting that this is an older work in, from 92, but it was just printed this year, and it was probably rescanned as well That's fairly guess. recently. Whereas if you look at Benke in New York, which was actually... He wrote it, or drew it, sorry. I think it was based on another... Yeah, Jim Pachimori was the writer. And it was done in 96, but then it was published in close proximity to that uh, from Pulp, so maybe like 99. And this is clearly printed from film rather than having been digitally scanned. And there are like huge sections here where like lines are closing up or fading out. Like reproduction materials probably weren't as available, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So I think that's really interesting, that kind of printing technology. But I don't think anyone other than a comic editor is probably (laughs) going to do that. There's some other things I'm not going to mention. I'm taking back those... (laughs) (laughs) Point zero zero two. I'm taking it back. No, I. Uh, I actually. I think this is really interesting. And Deb, you've read it. Have you? Read, have either of you, uh, Deb or David, read A Distant Neighborhood? Yep. No, I don't think so. So, Distant Neighborhood was also was put out by two volumes, also by this company, Fanfare Ponen Mall, and then it was re released as a single volume about four months before this book came out. So, just in the last year or so, I think mid COVID, so it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Whereas this came out sort of towards the tail end of the mm-hmm. COVID nonsense. And A Distant Neighborhood. Was he did it maybe two or three years later? Same magazine. Uh, it was like ninety. Oh, this neighborhood came after this book. Yeah, and it very much oh. feels like a do-over. Like he hit on mm. something that was really, really deep and powerful to the point that we're all talking about it. You know, twenty years later, almost, and feeling affected and sharing our own stories. And he did a distant neighborhood, and a distant neighborhood is the one that's kind of like Tom Hanks' big, where he wakes up in the body of him, his younger self. It's the parents disillusion but this time instead of the, the the mom leaving it's the dad leaving that kind of thing but that one is funny <laughs> a distant neighborhood is like is dotted with humor throughout the book in a way that's very very different in tone to this like there's sometimes some lightness to this which i think is interesting but for the most part it's pretty melancholic but there are actual jokes in a distant neighborhood like in one for example he's like i don't know 12 or 13 or something and he's like ends up at his mom's, uh, his friend's mom's bar that she runs. Like she runs a little snack bar. And he's like, I'll take a whatever. And she's like, you're 12, you can drink. And he's like, (laughs) yeah, my drink is this. But he, so he has a drink, but he's 12. So like the alcohol just like ruins him right away. He can't drink like a drunk salary man anymore. And there's like a whole sequence where he comes home drunk and then he's worried that that was what caused his dad to leave. Like it caused a fight. (laughs) Anyway, it's like, it's pretty fun, but also it, it deals with serious stuff. It deals with like a lot of the, the father-son stuff and like people needing to be themselves. Like it's it's a really good manga, but it has a happy ending. And this has an ending where like the most you're gonna get is, yeah, we should probably come back for Oban and say hi to everybody. I think that would be nice if we all came back for summer holidays. And that's the ending of this book. We kind of talked about that where he's come to realization. In a distant neighborhood, there's even a scene where he like sort of Narnia style sees what his family is talking about while he's not physically there and then references it. Oh, which is also in Scrooge, for example, when like Bill Murray <laughs> goes to his brother's house uh, and sees that and he answers, SS Minnow, and he like answers it. A scene like that happens in A Distant Neighborhood as well, 
where he's like, I know about your boyfriend because you were talking about it with your mother because I know everything. And they like play it for laughs. And it's like, fine, you can date him, but bring him home first. I want to see what he's like. And they're all like shocked that he knows something because he's like an oblivious salaryman working dad. And there's like a much more pat, happy ending. And Distant Neighborhood is a very good book. Uh, don't get me wrong. But this, um, for me, this is my closing thought, felt a lot heavier and a lot more like this is the story he wanted to tell or as close as he could maybe get to telling it. This is like, he couldn't do a full autobio. He couldn't talk about leaving his home in a direct way and what it meant to him. Cause he, you know, moved out of Totori as soon as he could when he was graduated high school and went to the big city and didn't come back. But it probably didn't make people who read it feel good. And when you're in a commercial manga magazine and you read the story, you might feel affected by it, but there's no happy ending. You don't put that down that last chapter and go, that was great. I got to tell everybody. You put down that last chapter and go, that was kind of a dark one. And then you flip to the next page and it's some sort of four panel gag, gag manga or a funny story or whatever, or whatever. So it's, uh, it, it's Kosukashima division chief. And he's like, met a sexy lady to have sex with. Like, it's a very different thing. And then a distant neighborhood that comes out three years later that tackles the same themes, but in a very cinematic way in a Hollywood cinematic way where you like see, and actually it was remade into a Belgian film. Actually, yes. Yes. Uh, I was going to say, ago. <laughs> whereas this was not remade. This would be like an Irish film where shit comes out at a wake that was like serious. And that's what this yeah. movie would be if it was adapted to a European film. I'm a little <laughs> jealous that they had this, this funeral because every Japanese funeral I've gone to, we didn't have the visitation. The, oh no. We didn't have the night before with the body eating, mm. eating, and exchanging stories. By the mm. time it got to Hawaii, we just get to the part where it's like there's already a box in the front of the in front of the altar. Inside mm. that box is grandpa. And yeah. that's all the catharsis. Yes, and then there's no there's no uh you know, there's barely any eulogy. All you mm. get is this bald man who you don't even know going, Namuangwangwangwangcho, Namuangwangwangcho, and then that's ended. And it's like well, that was completely unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> the first week I ever went to was for my grandmother, and uh, she was not well for a really long time. None of it came as a surprise. But going to the wake uh, with all of my cousins and stuff, I just lost it. I broke down. I couldn't yeah, function. Mm-hmm. Like for the whole time. We were there for two hours. And it was just like, there. it was an emotional catharsis, but there wasn't a sharing of stories or anything like that. We all knew why we were there. We all lived the same time with her and we all missed her but yeah reading about this and seeing this it seemed nice kind of jealous i'm kind of jealous i mean my my dad when he died like he he refused he refused that funeral we had like Mm. a military burial and punch bowl that's yeah that's that's the argument i have with my dad like when when i was a kid when there would be a my family had a few kind of tragic deaths like deaths of children my my mom and my younger brother wouldn't go to those funerals, and it was up to my dad and myself because we pretended to be strong people to go to these things, and we would yeah, and we would just break down. Like I, I don't know why I thought I could ever do any of those, um, but uh, but but dad would say he would just be like, "Not for me, not for me." When I die, no funeral, and I'm just like, it's it's been an ongoing conversation where I'm just like, but people need this isn't for you. Like people actually need this. Yeah. Like just because you and I like repress and like <laughs> turn into this weird ball of crying and stuff and everything is horrible, 
it doesn't mean that everyone feels that way. Like there's, there's something about, yeah, that, that honoring of a life and um, sharing the stories that mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is super important for everyone. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a Satan manga. Cause I feel like, I don't know if I would have this, these same feelings or the same understanding of the story if I was 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I would never read this story if I was 18. No, or even, like I mean, even... even sixteen. I'm just saying, like, yeah, you don't have that life experience and this this sense of of, of time and forgiveness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah, also sure. not belonging. Uh, like feeling seen by a book. Like, oh, like I felt this too. Mm-hmm. Um, solidarity, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Mm. Yeah. If I had a final thought. I, I got up and picked up another Tanaguchi book while we were chatting just now, Hotel Harborview. And I think what oh. it is about his work is that he knows exactly how long to spend with any particular moment. Like the pacing mm. is off the charts. There's a moment in Hotel Harborview, this is kind of what hooked me on the book, where there's a gunfight and one bullet is fired and it takes eight pages for the gunfight to finish. And yeah. it's really good. <laughs> you know? Wow. And this book is the same thing where it's like, here's the exact amount of time you need to know how Yoichi felt about his dog Koro and how long it took him to forget how he felt about his dog. You know, here's exactly how long it takes to see this family rebuilding in the midst of tra- tragedy and then splintering even after they've rebuilt. So yeah, this was amazing. Hmm. Good job, Chris. Yeah, good job, Chris. <laughs> did you guys, Deb, Chip, did you want to weigh in with a final thought or you want... You, uh, you, are you good? <laughs> you first, Chip. <laughs> um, this book was stupid. Uh, and I hate it. And, uh, no one should ever read it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I, again, I wanted adult books and you, you all have delivered me adult books and I'm very upset that it happened. <laughs> you ready for some more ninjas? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, the, the, the one thing we should talk about is the color. Because oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's time for Chip's color corner. <laughs> I swear Chip. to God, I will murder you. <laughs> my, if you don't like my color only, on my only oh. uh, contribution to this podcast. <laughs> the cover is gorgeous. It, it's a beautiful combination of color. Extremely well done. I, I, I really, I really uh, like the the cover. I'm not too sure about the design, but the the, the color is quite lovely. I also really like just the uh, the end papers inside. Like the of of oh, the, the, the mother and the father dancing, like that that zoom in with the zip tone with everyone fading out is that was a lovely scene. So to the color, it's color being done by someone who doesn't want to put color in their book, but they know they have to. <laughs> like the, the the green opening pages are very lovely. It doesn't add anything to it, and it's being treated just as tone, which is fine, I think. And then it's a, it's such a weird thing because they. They do that scene, and then they've got like the only kind of actual color page right afterwards mm. on page six, which is mm. okay, well done. I don't know if they like the combination. And then after that, it's just like, oh, yeah, we got to do a few more color pages. It was, it's, just it's, like, a dual, just, it's a dual tone, right, at the first one. It's like, yeah, it's the black and yeah. orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, uh, why? It must have been a serialization uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it has to do with printing technology in Japan. So basically, the first four pages are usually all you get for color pages. Mm-hmm. And it was that way last week, or not last week, but last released episode with 
even though we're adults, where the first four pages were in color in the original. And we actually only got them in black and white. And you'll notice whenever there's color pages, it's usually at the beginning of a serialization Mm -hmm. for a mangaka that has already proven themselves. So the color pages are like, we're gifting, basically the publisher is gifting them a chance to really do something exciting. And then on the flip side of things, fans want to see their work in color for like a few brief moments. Then the black and orange stuff is actually a separate two-tone printing, like duo-tone yeah, printing is still a thing in Japan, as you know. I'm, this is no, not no, necessarily yeah, just for you, but for the audience as well. This is true. So these, so that black and orange is actually a big part of, we talked about it actually really early, and it's because it was shot from the black and orange and then not reproduced with that mm-hmm. orange. Because Takahashi is so famous and so popular even at the time, she would get these like extra color pages and things like that and probably like watercolored right over top of her inks. I know that they don't do that the same way now. They do it all digitally so that they can pull it out if they're reprinting or whatnot. But the fact that we got color pages on this at all is good. I I understand where you're going. Like his coloring in 1993 is not where it is in 2017. But like, I this is I actually really liked that apartment building. The like gradation of sunset on the apartment building on page I think that's six, where it's really super subtle. And yeah, he is mostly using it as tones here. But I think that that's like, I kind of like it. It sets a sort of a somber mood, the exterior shots versus the interior shots. Like I, w- I wouldn't necessarily think a whole book would benefit from it, but I don't know. No. That one page, that one panel, I really liked a lot. And then I actually liked the green as like a way of thinking back in memory and how things are like memory is tinged by time, yeah. uh, you know, as a visual storytelling device. I don't really get why it's, the exteriors of the window wells are brown and everything else is green. But other than that, <laughs> I thought the, the, the using it as tone, I don't think he didn't want to. I think this was just his decision. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the window wells are brown because he's using, he's using mm. that orangey brown color throughout. Like those, those, these two pages aren't fully mm-hmm. green. Like the pants have brown in them. Like mm. he's using that brown for a lot of, uh, mm. uh, accent colors, but it is it is a little jarring mm. that those are just so brown. Yeah, I mean it's, it's interesting it's to contrast it with fine. the Venice book that we've been talking about because these are really lovely watercolor paintings. But he still treats color on the characters, on the people in them, in a tonal way, like the way he has like I don't know. I'm putting I'm holding it up to the thing and I'll put it in here. But it's like he's doing this sort of detailed you know, rocks and statues and things like that. But the faces will still have that sort of hard anime cut and stuff like that in and amongst realistic things. And I think it's just part of mm-hmm. comics in, in or Japanese comics is that like the characters aren't necessarily going to be rendered naturalistically because they're not being rendered strictly realistically. And it would look weird to put a naturalistic color, even like this page here where he's like talking to another dude and the thing, it's like, this dude is not the lead character, so he gets more naturalistic coloring on him than Tanaguchi's self-insert character does because he has a more realistic face, even though it's still cartooned. So I hear you. I appreciate your feedback, but you're wrong. And uh, let's move on to Deb. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, buddy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just picking on Go you. Go to hell. Yeah, fair. I'm looking at the back of the book, of the Venice book, and there's uh, so many more books. There's one for Edinburgh and Easter Island. Paris. All by Taniguchi? No, no, by uh, different artists or mm-hmm. different artists or uh, photographers and stuff like that. It's really lovely. 
I almost wish I could get the rest of the books because they're really nice. <laughs> but that's the one thing I don't need more. Books. <laughs> Anyhow, I will say that like I, I'm looking now at page 253 where there's this, a scene that mirrors what, what we started with, with that scene where he's a little mm-hmm. boy and he's on the floor of his father's barbershop. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that this time he remembers his father mm. looking back at him and smiling very gently. That, mm. <gasps> yeah. That's Siri dear. And I almost feel like that could have ended the book. Not the not the part where he he tells William, like his wife, well, let's come back. I mean, that is the last page of the mm. book, you know, where he remembers that scene. And yeah. that is a kind of bittersweet for me, right? Because it's like mm, Yeah. That's a moment of love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to yeah, it's hard. You don't remember those things. Like that's that's part of the problem with the, the, the faulty childhood memory. Like I, I remember my dad spanking me. I remember my parents getting angry at me, mm-hmm. but I, I literally, I don't remember mm-hmm. a hug. Like I don't remember a hug unless like a photo <laughs> shows up in which I'm being hugged, but I'm sure my parents hugged me. Right. Like, yeah, it's that weird thing. I think this answered both my question that I said, that I thought of when I first read this. It's like, is it just my soft spot mm. or is it a universal soft spot? Mm. And I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Universal, yeah. but with like specific entry points for each person. Different, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for different people. Like one day, I'll get you guys to read Blue Period. There's a part in Blue Period, Volume One, where I just same thing, ugly cry. I don't know if it's hormones, who knows? <laughs> but I do love this. I do love this book, and it's. Um, I'm glad I got to read it. I'm glad I didn't know what it was about. So I hope that anyone who does read it <laughs> comes into it cold because it, if I had known. Everything that was it was that was going to happen in this book, I probably mm. maybe would have reacted differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely approached with my defenses up. Did you? Because yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I think it's good. I mean, I'm glad it got an Eisner nomination, and I hope more people pick it up and read it. It's yeah. not yeah. it's not what you expect from manga, and it just shows there's a range out there. And as a bonus to Chip, it's a one and done. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I, I always appreciate a one and done. Until yeah, the I mean, journal of my grandfather. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. It's funny. This this might come out when the Eisners are announced. So. Oh, right. Uh-huh. I didn't even look at that. Maybe a week or so before. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so I remember going to Totori because I went to mm-hmm. the Mizuki Museum is in that prefecture. Mm. And I remember catching transferring to a train. And the train was a Jirotani Gucci train. Really? Awesome. <laughs> it was plastered with Jirotani Gucci art end to end. And it said, Totori Land of Manga. Oh, I'm yeah, so jealous. Cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, the art was the fire. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Very inappropriate. Wow. Yeah, because like, Totori also has uh, the Gosha Aoyama Museum, and, as well as the Shigeru Mizuki Museum. Mm. So that That's was really the, cool. That was the uh, time when I took like a month long sabbatical from work and I just went to manga museums all around Japan. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, we've talked about this before, but I cannot wait to go back with you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's and, do and, it. And, and, and hit these manga museums. Like, we'll have to do like video series that are different mm-hmm. than the video series that Chris and I did. <laughs> uh, just you slumped um, on the ground at different manga museums. <laughs> yeah. We got to go to that one in uh, the. The one by the guy who did Fishing Sanpei. Oh, I re- Museum. 
the Yokote Masada Museum. That really weird fishing manga that I keep that everyone I know of a certain age absolutely loves, but will never be translated. It's just some like hick dude from the country who's like a kid who just fishes and then went on for many a volume. It looks so good. I've never seen such good illustrations of fish. <laughs> there you go. Even uh, but that museum is is just oh. dazzling because it's all kinds of manga. It's not just his fishing manga. Mm. So it's just like it looks state of the art. It's like wow, fishing manga pays. <laughs> Sorry, what's Children of the Sea? Oh. Oh. It's, it's by a creator called Daisuke Igarashi, mm. and I can't explain the story to you, but he's very good at drawing ocean animals yeah. and made a story that allowed him to draw as many ocean animals as possible. Since we've all had our final thoughts on Jiro Taniguchi, maybe we'll go to the break. I will say um, this book is only available in print. It's something I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast because it is from a smaller publisher named Fanfare Ponent Mall. They are the, they're responsible for most of Taniguchi Sensei's works in English, so definitely get to know them. They are publishing some really good stuff. Uh, they got two Eisner nominations this year, which is huge for a company that I think only released four books in, the, in their, their total year. Great, <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah, this book is available now. A Distant Neighborhood, which we mentioned, is available now, and maybe another half dozen are still in print. But use bookstores as your friend. Go and collect all the Jiro Tandoji as I have. All right, so let's go to the break. We'll be right back. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And we're back. That was a delightful advertisement, I'm sure, or perhaps not. This week, Deb put out a call for questions on the Manga Splaining and personal Twitter's and so we got a whole bunch of new Q&As in the mailbags, which is good. I wanted to jump into this one because we actually talked a little bit about, um, in the last episode that was out, which is, as I mentioned, even though we're adults, I talked a little bit about scanlations, and I kind of went off, and I didn't let anyone else chat. <laughs> so we got a question. That's about scanlations. <laughs> it came to us in the email. It's from Dried Zachariah, or Zach, in the email. Dear Manga Splaining, as someone who reads a pretty decent amount of manga, I would say that, unfortunately... About 75% of the stuff I read is scanlations. Most of the stuff I read, I don't really see having a chance of being translated and brought to America. So my question is this. What is the best way to support the creators of the manga I'm reading when I can't buy officially translated versions of their work? And or what's the best way to convince publishers to give these titles a try so that I actually could buy them one day? Sincerely, Zach. I don't usually go in for scanlation-related questions because it seems like a false dichotomy to me. But this is pretty polite and pretty straightforward. There's no obfuscating. 
I thought, let's throw it open. Let's throw it open to the crew. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, scanlations are comics that are translated from Japanese into English in a gray market kind of way. They aren't licensed for distribution in North America, but there's nothing really gray market about it and put up online for, for free. Traditionally, they were put up online for free and then they would pull, you know, those, the groups that were doing these scanlations would pull them down when a series got officially licensed so it wouldn't be available anymore. Except this is the internet in 2021 and anything <laughs> you put on the internet could theoretically stay up forever whether or not you want it pulled down or not. So scanlations have become a different thing in 2021. This dude's reading mostly scans. This dude wants to know how he can support creators and not read scans and to see the industry change in a way that he could buy more comics that he likes. Deb, David, what do you think? Oh. Wait, oh, Chip has a thought. Sorry, I just, I just want to... I was just talking to some comic creators today about um, comic book torrenting sites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like com- new comics come out on Wednesday and like they're available to download for free like almost immediately wednesday morning wow yeah and you know that's that's been a problem for a long time and scanlation sounds like a much nicer problem <laughs> frankly. It's not because uh, because if, if if like if my comics were on these torrent sites but they were uh, written poorly instead and i knew that my correctly written ones were coming <laughs> out I, I i'd almost be fine with like the the free one being an inferior version, uh, then that says exactly the, the same version. Oh yeah, no, I, I don't like any of it. But yeah, like, in 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 comparison, I'd rather I'd rather like a a, a lousy version of my book. I think that where, where people understand where people understand that there's a better version that mm-hmm. they can go buy when it comes out. Well, the mm-hmm. thing with scanlations is that the better version is the one where people are like that's not as authentic or real as the scanlation in a lot of cases Mm. okay it's like a super brief history where i'm gonna skip over a lot uh they started as like genuinely fan driven like chris was saying uh fans translating things for other fans it used to be like you would get a word doc with a bunch of like dialogue boxes on it and you'd have to look at the art next to it oh wow and then you would get, you know, Photoshop. And so you could put the dialogue in the balloon. But as time went on, that kept going as manga took off. So as manga became more legitimate, scans also became more prevalent because they were easier to find. Like people had a greater knowledge of what to search for. Yeah. Boys love Yaoi, like huge tons of scans, things like that. Tons of porn. We'll probably get to that eventually. But porn very heavily scanlated. But the thing is, like Chris was saying, it's 2021 now. What started as a fan thing is primarily now a way for skullduggery type organizations to make money mm-hmm. by aggregating scans, essentially. So you go to one website, it has all your favorite manga, you can read it whenever you want, it's totally free, and you don't have to pay anything. It's all yours. But the trouble is that becomes the default consumption route. So even though it's the worst version, it's like if... Every time you wanted to go to the movies, your friends were like, well, I have a cam of the new Fast and the Furious instead. Let's watch that. And you're like, I guess, but can we also go to the movies? And they're just not into it at all. Wow. Yeah. So this is one of those things where I have to be like, oh, like speaking as as myself as an individual and not on behalf of my employer, I've been off scans for most of my adulthood at this point. I think I quit in college because I was thinking about it. I was like, look, no one's getting money for this who should get money for this. Like yeah. The creators can't make more books if they aren't getting paid for it. Publishers aren't going to make books if they can't get paid for it. It's just bad all the way down. It builds awareness, but you know, like people starve on exposure every day. Mm-hmm. 
And <laughs> so I'm very sympathetic. I, I, yeah. yeah. I was, was going to say, I really like that you phrase it like I've been off scans for like, like, like you're an yeah. AA for scans. I mean, it's, yeah. it's genuinely that easy. Like yeah. any popular manga, if you Google it right now, you'll probably find it. Well, maybe not now that there's like SEO and stuff like that. But for a while, like the third result for One Piece was the One Piece bootleg, like front and center. Oh, yeah. And and they make money off of that because they make money yeah. off ad revenue, and that's mm-hmm. what makes yeah. it that's what makes it worthwhile for them. Not just ad revenue, but like they're loading in whole programs. Like like sometimes it's mining, sometimes it's like all kinds of stuff. Like while you're browsing their website, they're using your browser and your internet, your computer to like run programs and shit. Like yeah, scans are wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's the honeypot. Yeah, so was there was a story just this past week? I'm pulling it up. About mm-hmm. an illegal manga site operator. Oh yeah, the, he, with a three-year prison sentence. Yes, Mangamura, oh. Mangamura. That was a. Were they one of the ones? Deb, do you know the details on that one? It's a it's a Japanese torrent site. Mm. Yeah, the guy ran off to the Philippines when he got caught, and and he still got arrested. <laughs> nice. And he, yeah. and he still got slapped with like a six-figure fine, as yeah. well. You know, so he's in jail for the next three years. Japanese uh, prison is not good. Yeah, don't break. No prison is good. There's another fan. Also, there's another fan for opponent mode book about prison in Japan, (laughs) which we Mm -hmm. may get to one of these days. But I will say it. But it was Japanese only. Yeah, Hmm. Uh, Japanese piracy is a little bit different from what we do over here. It's kind of it's kind of like the American torrent sites. What Scanlation does that's a little bit iffy is that it takes the original Japanese work and it. I'm going to say amateur. Mm-hmm. Translators yeah. of various degree of skill t- take the content and translate it as they like, and that sometimes means that they take significant liberties with what in what the original Japanese says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also wrong and very offensive to a lot of Japanese creators. But mm-hmm. you know, to take it back to this person's question, where they said, "Well, this is stuff that people won't ever see in English because it's so niche and old or strange," you know, and I'm never going to get to read it. Otherwise, and I and I honestly want to support these creators because I, I the only way I could have read, read the, these books is by through the scans, mm-hmm. but I feel guilty. So sometimes people will say like, "Well, then go buy the original Japanese book," you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, then at least you put some money in the author's pocket. Yeah. But yeah. but the downside is that you know what you've kind of done is. And I, I've heard this anecdotally from a couple other publishers, but it's just like the more heavily scanlated a, a title is, the less likely it is to get published, hmm. that it becomes less profitable. Like I think one example, and I'm going to just throw this out just because it's out there and I, and I have no one from Kodansha to confirm this and they never will. Yeah. <laughs> but Tokyo Revengers is super hot right now. There's an anime series. Yeah. There's like 21 volumes. It's the number five best-selling manga in Japan. Mm-hmm. It is not in print. It is in, It is digital only, and people are taking these digital only from Kodansha and posting it online. Yeah, as free, right? So yeah. and so, people will constantly complain. Hey, uh, 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 how come you know this? How come I? How come Kodansha? You're not publishing in a print. We want it in print. We want it in print. And it's like, well, <laughs> let me tell you something, kids. You violated the social contract here <laughs> and you, made, and you yeah. made it very unappealing for us to publish this like you're not only publishing scans but you're taking legit digital releases and then re-releasing them like 
hundred percent file re-releases. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's well, that's 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 the, the sketch. Yeah. That's not scanlations anymore. You're just kind of well, that's, 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 just, yeah. That's the we, Marvel DC image. Thing. Yeah, like yeah. That's what I was talking yeah. about earlier. I, do, I mean, I do feel for him, you know, because like there are some super old shoujo manga that I would love to read, you know. Or we've mentioned a ton of books on this podcast <laughs> yeah. that have been scanlated. But and we talk about manga press or manga express or whatever we're going to call it, but it's like yeah, the Shiori experience with its like very difficult licensing situation. Probably not going to get licensed or old shoujo or old jo- like Jose, yeah. like the rest of. Um, I'm going to well, give you a anyway. little tip. This is what I do with BD because <laughs> there's not a lot of BD that's going to come out in English either. Google Translate has a phone has an has a camera. App. <laughs> you can take your camera. You can take. You can buy the printed book in Japanese. You can take your little Google Google Translate and put it over the book, and you'll get a very rough idea what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a very fun and effective way to read a book. <laughs> we should review a book on the yeah. podcast. Like I'm that. just that desperate. <laughs> yeah, I actually did that with a book recently, exactly like Deb was saying, but with a manga. So there's a book that I was happy to help get published at Viz called That Blue Sky Feeling. It's queer teen coming of age thing, but a gay boy who doesn't know he's gay and he has a gay best friend now. And what does that mean? Anyway, it's really good. Author's next book is actually written from a mom's point of view and it's called, I think my son might be gay. And that's the name oh, of no, the book. Oh no, it's out. And, Square Enix. Well, sorry. And that, there you go. So the author, Okura, published chapters from the book every time he would finish a four page chapter, which like ran in or whatever, he would just publish it on his own Twitter in Japanese. And I was like, desperate to read this so yeah i would just point my phone at the screen after opening up his like twitter images and he posted it for free he made that decision as a creator i read it through google translate i love it and the book is out now from square enix it just either just came out or it's just about to come out yeah i'm gonna give that that company 15 bucks Mm -hmm. like i actually next time i get to go to japan i'm gonna buy it in japanese probably as well so like yeah i think if you want to so his question has a couple different points Mm -hmm. the first one is what is the best way to support creators of manga that I'm reading when I can't buy officially translated versions of his work? That's the first question. And the answer is buy their books in Japanese and buy them not used. <laughs> I love Mandarake for hard to find stuff that's out of print. Mandarake is a, a really big used bookstore chain in Japan. They ship internationally. They have an online site. But authors don't see a dime from there. That's people who bought the book originally, sold it back to a used store, and now you're ordering it used from Japan. If you are asking me, how do I support this author? Go to Kinokunia, go to Amazon.co.jp if you don't have Amazon problems, find a Japanese bookstore, order the Japanese book in. If you've already read it, you want to have it on your shelf and you don't think it's going to get translated and you want to kick the author a few bucks, physically buy their book. It's available to you. The world is smaller than it was. You can have books delivered to your front door from Japan, even in the middle of a pandemic. Or you can get it in French or Italian or Spanish. So Chris is anti-used bookstore. I just want to point that out. And pro Amazon. I did not see that coming. Yeah, yeah. It was a real yeah. twist. Yeah. It's a um, weird, I'm, wacky, I am, I, COVID broke me. I, I, I actually think it's fine to buy from the used bookstore, even if you want to support the author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what happens is, in a used bookstore situation, is when those titles go out and then someone brings books back in, like, like it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. Mm-hmm. It's a cycle that gets broken when you take the books out of the country. If you're buying from America Japanese books, that cycle doesn't work anymore. You're not selling back to a used, like to Mandarake in Japan. No, but, 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 but I, people, I take your, people will bring in, like, like bookstores always stop buying 
books if they have too many of them in stock, like used bookstores. So once you buy from yeah. them, more books come in. Like even if you're buying it out and taking it out of country, I I love used bookstores. Don't be <laughs> that. I bought more than my fair share of used books. But I will say that, yeah, you can buy books from Japan. And if you want to make sure that a dollar from what you bought goes into an author's pocket, buy a new copy. That's that's the easiest way to do it. But the next point is, what's the best way to convince publishers to give these titles a try so that I could actually buy them one day? And I'll just be honest. I was inside the offices of a number of publishers. I've worked with a lot of Japanese manga publishers through bringing creators to Toronto for TCAF or through you know consulting work. And... Every single one of them has a story about a book that was highly rated on my anime list, about a book that was really beloved, that had tons of scanlations and fans begged for it. And then when it showed up, they just didn't show up for it. They didn't buy it. They didn't support the physical release of that book. Maybe you and your community love this book and all 300 of you are going to buy a copy, but like we're talking 2k minimum <laughs> to make the book even remotely worthwhile and that's like that's at some a small 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 publisher like fanfare Pona mall yeah at viz or kodansha that number's closer to five so or seven c's or or yen or anybody honestly like mm-hmm. people want to sell at least five thousand copies for the book to to make sense so yeah you gotta show up for the books that you want to see and I get it. Sometimes you can't buy it because of geographic restrictions. I know South America is having a shitty time with manga right now because things aren't licensed there and a lot of places won't ship there. I got nothing but love. Like, I get it. Do what you got to do. If that means scanlations, do it. But if the book shows up, if a local publisher takes a chance on it, show up and buy it. People are hard up for money. I get it. I am, I am right there. But if you want to see art, <laughs> you have to physically and pay for the art at some point because... People people die from exposure every day. I believe, as <laughs> David said earlier in the podcast. So that's a t- that's a manga splaining t shirt right there. <laughs> people die from exposure every day. So yeah, like if you want to if you want to tell a publisher that you really like something, find the thing that's closest to what you want to see that they're putting out, and just you know kick them fifteen bucks. Show them there's a market for it. That's that's the easiest thing that you can do. Also, you could just write letter. You could you could do all the typical fan stuff too. You could start a writing letter writing campaign. You could start a fan site. You could whatever. You could whatever. You could whatever. But the other thing you could do, and this is going to sound, I don't know. This is this is where I think Deb gets shit on sometimes on Twitter because I see it happen. I see I see her post it, and I'm waiting for the response because I'm just pick your battles stupid that way. <laughs> fan folks, fan folks of all shapes and sizes you have to pick your battles better like you have to go and say i can't get you know whatever in my country like yeah sure you, you're right you can't you could get like 90 percent of other things you're like i don't want to buy anything except for this book and it's translated it's like yeah kingdom's probably not coming it's like 80 volumes long and it has so many problems with releasing that book but the fact that you're like no i'm not going to buy any manga until kingdom is whatever because no one will publish it like Pick your battles. If you want to see a better manga industry, like as a you know, you can write in, you can work with small publishers, you can answer a seven C's has a licensing survey every single month. You know, like make your voice heard, but voting with your dollars is the best way to actually uh Yeah. Is the best way yeah. to make yourself heard. It's it's probably not good advice, but instead of scanlating, if you can afford to buy other things, find other things. There's like a functionally infinite number of comic books out there. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah. Chip D write five, 
something like that. Something you're like you're like just that. one guy. Come on, kick me some money. That's what David's saying. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I, I, I relate, right? Like I was one of those mm-hmm. people that said, "Oh my God, Rose Versailles, I want this so bad. Oh my mm-hmm. God, Saint Young Man, mm-hmm. I want this so bad. I have only bought two volumes of each." You, you know, monster. Like, there's, there's a lot of books. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, they're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to catch up with it. I'm going to buy them all. But I didn't run out to the store immediately every time one comes out because there's other books to read. Mm-hmm. But, mm. you know, at the same time, I think I just have – for certain titles, I think we just all have to realize, and I think we have an internal uh, compass for this, what titles are mm. a little bit where the publisher is really taking a chance. Mm. Yeah. And those are the ones that need your support the most. Mm, by shoujo and jose you know it's 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 really hard because like we're of a certain age so maybe we get it more than (laughs) younger people but you just don't always get everything that you want like in terms of like like in terms of like streaming services like like you can just access anything at any time like my wife was talking to a friend the other day and the kids were just like stunned that there used to be a time when you had to like wait to watch a television show at a certain time <laughs> and if you missed it yeah. it's gone like that's just like yeah. a dumb simple thing let alone the, the fact that you can access anything at, at, at any time and i think mm-hmm. a lot of people also in our generation just can't get their head around the fact that like sometimes you just can't get a thing mm-hmm. yeah but, you know like i also say that the trip to Angloem last january taught me something too is that the french are publishing a lot a very dicey yeah. manga. And yeah. sometimes if there's a really weird, rare <laughs> thing you you want to read, it might be in French. And, and <laughs> Google, the Google... Or Spanish or Google Italian. The Google Translate or... phone thing works really good on romance languages. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So like Stop uh, like, like Kun by Higuchi Eguchi, uh, Hisashi Eguchi, about, the, about mm-hmm. the cross-dressing son of a Yakuza. Very mm-hmm. pretty. Cross-dressing mm-hmm. son of a yakuza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it got published in France last year. Wild. Eguchi Sensei is amazing as an He was there too, signing, so. and I didn't want to stand in a line, and I deeply <laughs> regret it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I think I think that kind of answers that question. Like maybe I think there's lots of ways to financially <laughs> support a creator if you're like real serious about it, and if it's really just about making sure that the exact manga that you want gets published, I think it. Marry Jeff Bezos. Start your own yeah, company. You <laughs> <laughs> or you could do what or you could do what really hardcore fans have done for many years. Learn Japanese. Learn yeah, Japanese. I was gonna, I was gonna say, that's a possibility. <laughs> I appreciate this question. Zach, thank you so much for reaching out with that one. I hope that answered uh, to the best of your ability. And that brings us to a very long at the end of a very long episode of Manga Splaining. Thank you very much for joining us this week for that. And we hope you had a good time. So on behalf of myself and the whole crew, Jamate, we'll see you again next week. Oh, yeah, come back next week where we talk about our issues with our mothers. This has been Manga Splaining, episode number 22, A Journal of My Father by Jiro Tanaguchi. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga BL Metamorphosis by Kaori Tsurutani. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. 
Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.